Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the DD Geopolitics podcast. We missed one, and I'm finally joined again by Lydia and JM, and the always amazing and eternally hostage Aussie Cossack. How are you today? As long as I'm not internally hostile, I'm internally hostage. Very close, but (laughs) you've got the eternally hostage at the moment. So I'm not hostile to you at all and to all your listeners. Great to be with you. (laughs) So uh, the joke that I made, obviously, I'll give you guys a little backstory, is that uh, Aussie Cossack has been living in the Russian consulate in Australia for quite some time. Um, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because I don't think that they're really familiar about your prior um, kind of activism before the small with COVID and they kind of had their eye on you anyway. And then this started and then now you're in the Russian consulate and have been since. Well, it's been, it's been a bit of a long story, but that is the short story of it. Uh, what started with a rebellion on the streets of Sydney against the lo- uh, lockdowns and the COVID mandates, which I believe we should claim a victory. Uh, we certainly did, and I know in the United States, we managed to take our countries back. Uh, but that, of course, had collateral damage, and some of that collateral damage was then uh, through a campaign of the police. I don't think I pulled over 67 times or something last year and, you know, searched and... Um, so basically, like... yes. So basically, like, just trying to get you for something. So I remember that. Well, yeah. I remember it was, the, it was a fun like, game. It was a fun game. It was, it was good. I enjoy it. But there's nostalgia about it. It was great. It was a good well, I campaign. Don't, I don't think that Jerry. people. Yeah, I don't think people know that about uh, ethnic Russians. Is that this is just as, the chase. Chasing me is just as fun as me chasing you. <laughs> Like, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I would dead set get a general, and every time I heard police sirens pull up behind me, and I saw police lights in the rearview mirror, I would get a bust of adrenaline. I would just be enjoying myself, and this was all being live streamed every single time. So the police really didn't like me; they kept harassing me even more. And all of the videos went viral on YouTube, and it was it was comedy gold. It was good. It was good viewing, but it was always very careful. No swearing to the cops. Uh, always sort of this. Uh, gentlemanly friendly way which even sort of uh trolled them even further because what they they're used to doing is provocating people so that was a good campaign that went on we had a lot of stuff in australia the police then went from uh chasing me for being an anti-vaxxer to chasing me being to to being a pro-russian so if you're anti-vaxxer and you're a pro-russian that's like double whammy two worst categories in australia uh to be in uh, what from the point of view of uh, media and police hmm. so what is your favorite thing about the russian consulate what is the nicest the russian, thing the russian consulate the fact that it's russia the fact that <laughs> the fact that's that, right uh, the fact that the saying that russians don't abandon their own and that is why we are in the special military operation mm-hmm. and that's the whole concept of uh Russians standing up for each other and themselves and their countrymen. Because today it's me, tomorrow you, or tomorrow yep. today it's you, it's tomorrow me. We're all in the same, the boat, the Russian world, the Ruski Mir. And people need to understand that uh, all around the world. And you don't necessarily have to be uh, conscripted onto the front lines or mobilized or volunteered to be in the fight. We will make it a lot easier for those heroes of ours on the front lines if we can set the correct social political atmosphere in the west 
And that is what they hate us for. That's what they hate you for, Sarah. That's what they hate me for. And that's why we're on lists. And that's why the Western media, the Western globalist powers and their henchmen and their uh, agencies and police structures, that's why they target us. But as Joseph Stalin said, when our enemies are against us, it means we're doing the right thing. And I've started to quote Stalin quite a lot in the last two years. I don't know if if that's a problem or not. Let's see what Lydia thinks of that. Oh, Lydia, gosh, go ahead, Lydia. (laughs) Well, I I have to agree. That's that's actually true. I feel like, well, historically, being Russian has been problematic for quite a while. I mean, people know little about us. People don't exactly understand why we do the things that we do. And usually they tend to assign some type of, you know, bad motive to us. And... And I feel like that's that's the thinking for a lot of people in Russia. They feel like as long as we feel that we're doing the right thing, we're willing to endure some things. Like some of my foreign friends, they say, I don't understand you Russians. How come you're so patient? How come you're not freaking out? But I always explain that if you give a Russian a task, a goal, a mission, then Russians can actually endure a lot of very difficult things if they feel that it's worth it. Well, they're unlocking, they're unlocking the potential of the Russian people. The Russian people flourish in these types of situations. Fortunately or unfortunately, whatever side you want to view that historical fact as, Russia flourishes during these types of situations. For one, the Russian military has been its strongest ever right now. It's at its strongest. That is a fact. Russia has, in the space of just 16, 17 months, has mobilized its uh, military and its military industrial complex and level of technology and production. Uh, And that's what Russia needed. This is very similar. If we look at a historical aspect, similar to, in a way, the Soviet-Finnish war, the Winter War, that preceded the beginning of the Great Patriotic War. It was, even though it it was bad, there was some mistakes that were made. They quickly learned from those mistakes and they quickly were forced to modernize and forced to uh, uh, become prepared for a bigger war. I believe that there's a big war around the corner. I believe that there's a war coming up. There are wars everywhere. It's uh, The world is on a tipping point. And many people in the West will only realize this when it's too late. But many people right now are realizing this. They're waking up and they're saying no to Western interference in Ukraine, no to Western interference in Niger. So... We're working slowly, but we're getting there. You know, I want to take this moment to say thank you to the DD Geopolitics crew and all the volunteers that are involved. There's groups like this, Slavian Grad, same, all volunteers. And these networks of volunteers in the West, uh, not necessarily many of them even who have Russian background, but they do an excellent job in uh, shaping the narrative. The war can be won very quickly if the informational war if we break their backbone, in the informational war, I think that's the fastest and most direct path to victory. Victory can be achieved otherwise. We can keep going. We can keep fighting. But that's going to be a lot and a lot of casualties on the Ukrainian and NATO side. And It's just, I don't really care about the NATO people if they become casualties because that's their own fault. But I do have sympathy with all of those hundreds of thousands and uh, millions of Ukrainians who 
being drafted in, forced. They're targeting Russian ethnic people and Orthodox people, these recruitment mobilization, forced mobilization programs. And actually one of my uh, classmates who I studied with in Moscow in seminary in uh, Sretinskaya Seminaria, he was Ukrainian, Bogdan, and he uh, was mobilized. He was Russian Orthodox, but he lived over there. Uh, he, he finished seminary. He's supposed to become a priest, this guy. And they came, mobilized him, took him away. 24 hours later, he was dead. You know, they sent him to an area of the front line, which is certain death, because the Russians have such strong defenses. The Russians have such a strong line of defense. If you get through one line, second line, third line, there's another 15 lines. But that's uh, that's uh, brings it up to speed, basically, Sarah. I hope I answered the question. Um, what do you think... Uh is the biggest misconception that a lot of the people in the West have about Russians. Misconception. Well, I think there's uh, two types of people in the West. There's those people who are free-thinking and they are uh, good and amicable towards Russians. And then there's the second category of people who are not free-thinking and who are under the influence of the Western globalist mainstream media. And these people, uh, you can't change them. You can't change them because the, what they think of Russians, the negative things they think of Russia or Russians, it's the same thing they thought about COVID or other uh, large-scale brainwashing topics like climate change and so forth. So it's very hard to fix them. And they maybe they know they're wrong deep down inside, but they can't admit it because it's too late, just like with the vaccines. People getting five, six, seven jabs of vaccines, what for? So many of us didn't get any, which is uh, lucky for those people around us. And we warned a lot of people not to get vaccinated. Uh, but when it comes to Russians, the freedom movement overseas, they're attracted to Russians. Many people in the West, the West, for example, Australia, I can speak for Australia confidently. Uh, many people who are against the globalist initiatives, they're against uh, uh, forced vaccination, against the World Economic Forum, and uh, such and such, they are fully supportive of Russia, hands down, whatever happens. And that's great to know. And I think the reason why they're attracted to that, what do they see good in Russians, is that Russia uh, is the guardian of uh, sanity. It's a country where uh, it's not illegal to be normal. It's a country where your children relatively are safe ideologically. And that's why many people are moving to Russia. Uh, not only back to Russia, Russians, but also many people from the West who have no connections, no prior connections to Russia. They're moving to Russia and uh, living very successful and safe uh, lives for them, and most importantly, families and children. And that's occurring. Uh, so I think Russia is seen as a country uh, which is the last bastion against uh, the globalist powers. Uh, they are in turn, servants of the Antichrist. And their agenda uh, is anti-Christian, anti-Orthodox, anti-Russian, anti-family values. And that is why many people see in Russians, or in Russia, should I say, because, uh, I mean, we look at personally people. I mean, everyone is a sinner, and some people sin more than others, but we're, looking, we're talking about the people and the country as a whole and what the country stands for. And what society stands for, Russian culture stands for, Russian ethics stand for. And thankfully, Russia is preserving that uh, honorable position in the world, uh, but through humility, 
Russia's preserving that. Russia's not imposing anything on anyone. Russia's just saying what happens in Russia concerns us and we don't want our children to grow up uh, under Western values or influenced by Western values. And that is why Russia's having a resurgence to patriotism that uh, monuments to Stalin are being unveiled. And although that may be controversial, that's a a sign of where the Russian people stand at the moment. The Russian people uh, won victory, and they are remembering Stalin because he brought victory. And as you know, many people say, при Сталине такого не было, или такой не было. I do know the phrase. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, perhaps I might uh, sound uh, a bit of a contrary note in first things. First, I'll start with the good vibes one, which is, uh, I hope this isn't a second great patriotic war, and it's more like if it must be anything, a second great northern war, just a lot, lot shorter, so that, because um, I don't think anybody really wants that big war around the corner, even though it's there. The second thing, though, I'd have to ask is, um, you said that you push back on vaccine mandates. But there were also vaccine mandates in Russia, after all. Yes, that's the question. Uh, I thought you might, or somebody might uh, ask a question in that light. Uh, everyone knows that what happened in Russia at, at, uh, in terms of vaccine mandates or health mandates or health advice in relation to vaccines and COVID was on a minuscule level in comparison to what was going on in Australia, in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Brisbane, in Perth in the United States and other countries, uh, the there was no uh, comparison, really. And I know that there are some characters, some actors, who seek specifically to exploit uh, information uh, suggesting that Russia had a very tough vaccination stance and people were being falsely vaccinated and trying to compare Russia to the other Western uh, powers who... Uh, for example, let's compare it to Australia. Uh, and there is no example to be made. There's no comparison, in my opinion. But these actors who make these comparisons, who bring attention, they say, oh, they publish articles. Let's just name one of them. Uh, uh, Edward Slavskot, for example. If you look at his page, and I'm not directing traffic to his page, take my word for it. Uh, every article, every article, every second article, at least every second article, something report, reporting on something to undermine Russia's reputation in the West as a country who guarantees freedom and stands for freedom. This is a psyop. Guys like this, Edward Slavskot and others who promote the narrative that Russia is actually uh, pro-vaccination, that Russia is actually you know, a member of the World Economic Forum, or Russia is, uh, or Russia was uh, doing harsh lockdowns and uh, putting vaccine mandates and QR codes and digitalization. Those people that promote that, and you can see they're overly promoted, they're doing it on purpose. These people are part of the Western informational war. What they're trying to do is they're trying to disorientate Western uh, members of freedom movements around the world who believe in Russia and love Russia and support Russia because they see Russia as the bastion of freedom, who, are, who is fighting the same fight as they're fighting. That's what people in the West uh, who support Russia, that's how they look at Russia. Russia is on their side. And they're fighting the same things that Russia stands for, protecting their children, protecting their society, protecting uh, uh, religious values, protecting uh, orthodoxy. For example, uh, everyone is sickened and disgusted to see what Zelensky is doing to the Orthodox Church in Ukraine. But very little 
very a little uh, amount of people will speak up for that. And I think it's time to just say, take pick a side. And I'm I'm happy to see slowly that, uh, specifically in the Russian diaspora where we are, people are starting to, and including clergy, which is great to see, priests are starting to just say blatantly that we pray for Russia's victory, that peace will come through Russia's victory. I hope I answered the question. Um, yes, you did. And I'll definitely want to come back to the question of the Russian Orthodox Church, because you mentioned uh, that you went to seminary and you know some people, sadly, who've um, passed away in the sort of war. But um, I would have to ask, though, what's wrong with vaccine mandates? Surely it is just the government trying to ensure that its people are looked after, that they're healthy, and that through their health, the health of others is looked after, and therefore the the freedom of the individual by their person and their health being more secure. So what's wrong with that? Well, what, what vaccine mandates are there right now, where you are, for example? Well, when the pandemic was happening, it was very much in effect in order to make sure that we could more comprehensively come out of a lockdown and that we could hang achieve... On, hang on, hang on. What, what, what mandates are in place where you are right now? Well, wherever you are. So I'm in, a, I'm in Australia, there are no mandates. There are no mandates. It's all well, free. We'll no. do whatever you like. Well, no, there are no mandates now because um, uh, they were put okay. into effect two years ago. But I'm talking, of course, about two years ago. So, Well, of course. Just... Okay. I, I know. I'm leading to that. Well, there are no mandates now. And the reason, because there are no mandates now, is because we never needed the mandates. They don't actually do anything. We, we could have all had uh, our, you know, COVID and 99.9% would have survived. And then we just passed this like any flu season, as many countries did. But all this hysteria and years and years of lockdowns, I'm talking about years of lockdowns. I don't think you understand what was happening in Australia, if you put the question that way. Melbourne was in lockdown for years. Sydney was in lockdown for, it was the longest lockdown on earth here. It was very serious. And people were losing the plot. People were locked in rooms. People were told, people were driving around in cars by themselves, wearing masks by themselves inside a car. You know, that, that's the level of hysteria and insanity that it reached. And many more people died from vaccine injuries and vaccine uh, side effects than died from COVID. And that's a fact because the people are continuing to die from vaccine side effects. Those who are silly enough or those who have been unfortunate enough because many people are coerced and tricked. And that's the worst crime of the government where they were coercing people into taking the jab, saying, we will withhold wages from you. We will not pay you. We will not uh, allow you to go to work. We will not allow you to go to a outdoor funeral service to say goodbye to your loved ones outdoors. You weren't allowed to go to see your loved ones buried. That's how crazy it got in Australia. You weren't allowed to look at the sunset. You weren't allowed to drink coffee outside. It was just silly. It was just getting absolutely out of control. And that was the globalist governments flexing their muscle and doing a training exercise. So we had to push back. And we showed that we can push back. We can't. Can, uh, in the future, it won't be a... It was a test, basically. It was a test. And you can see who is staunch, those who didn't get jabbed, and those who, all right, they had two, but then they realized they had three jabs, and then they said, all right, enough's enough. Have you met anyone who's still having jabs? Of course not, because everyone knows it's all nonsense, and they're actually, far from being good for you, they're actually bad for you. And that's full stop. We have to say that. We have to admit that. The government itself is paying vaccine compensation money out to people. They realize that it's killing people and injuring people, and it's no laughing matter. So... Uh, but um, I'd have to disagree with that. But I agree. That, uh, that, that uh, I know, but uh, that's just <laughs> that's just me. There's a reason I'm called just uh, just me. Um, 
I disagree on this question, but what I want to ask you about is the Russian Orthodox Church, because I think everybody has looked at what's happened at the Lavra Monastery in Kiev in some shock. So this is a twofold question. What is the significance of the Pechersk Lavra Monastery in the Russian Orthodox religion? Why does it have such emotional resonance that it's been under siege? And why is it that suddenly with the discrimination against the canonical Orthodox Church, this where does this come from? Why are they doing it? Why is nobody in official Western circles speaking up about it? And uh, how did we suddenly get transported back to the middle of the 18th century where the government just comes in and starts officially discriminating against a particular denomination? Well, that's a very good question. Thank you for uh, the question, because gives me an opportunity to address uh, things which really need to be talked about a lot more. I'm glad you brought this up. Firstly, let's make note of the silence from Western churches and even from Russian Orthodox and other Orthodox denominations outside of Russia. It seems they've completely forgotten their sort of fellow Christian duty to speak up and defend the besieged people of Kyrpichersk uh, Lavra and indeed all of the Ukrainian churches and communities all around the world, because what's happening in the Lavra is just a symbol of what's actually happening all over the country. The persecution is happening all over Ukrainian-held territory. So anywhere where the Zelensky regime is in power, it's the same approach to any churches who are Orthodox and that don't uh, go under the switch, basically sell their souls to the jurisdiction of the government-approved Zelensky uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which was created under Poroshenko a couple of years ago. And as we know, more than 80% of the country belong to the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church or the Moscow Patriarchate, which is as the same part of the same church as the Belarusian Church and the church in Russia and the church in Kazakhstan and all of the uh, territories of the former Soviet Union and former Russian Empire. And that church is very old. I mean, this... Uh, Lavra Monastery that you uh, uh, make note of in Kiev, uh, it's from dates back to just before the Great Schism in 1051. So the Great Schism was a few years later in 1054, and its uh, significance is uh, very very serious. You know, Kiev itself being the mother of all cities, but the Lavra and I, I've been there, and it's a beautiful place. It's a very it's a very holy place. Uh, the caves which are underground corridors uh, contain the relics of many, many uh, saints and notable uh, Russian uh, historical figures. Uh, for example, Ilya Muromians and uh, many others, Yuri Dolgoruki. This uh, uh, monastery, this Lavra, is only one of a few major uh, Russian Orthodox or Ukrainian Orthodox, because it's the same thing, um, centers. So the level of this would be there's one in Kiev, there's one in Pachev, uh, and there's one uh, just outside Moscow in Sergiev Passat. And these Lavre, they, uh, of course, uh, have a historical uh, symbol uh, symbolism. The fact that it's being now, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's being now overtaken. This is barbaric, of course. The fact that Zelensky is sending police, armed police with machine guns to fight parishioners and monks and seize territory from them and seize churches. The fact that there are armed police everywhere stopping people from 
praying inside the lavra. That is, that's a reflection of the satanic nature of Zelensky and his backers, because there's no doubt that these, the people that are fighting Russia, those forces uh, in NATO in the West who are sponsoring the Nazi Zelensky regime, supplying them with weapons, supplying them with the billions of dollars they need to carry on this uh, genocide, they uh, indeed are conducting a, you know, it's like a satanic uh, uh, killing, really, if you look at what, what motivates them. And Zelensky, he's, he's, he's uh, being a Satanist, he wants to be blasphemous. And he's showing Russia that he can do this. It's all done in a very public way. The public uh, imprisonment of Metropolitan Pavel, for example, uh, and and then uh, releasing him, and then sh showing him in the courthouse, handcuffed with an ankle bracelet, and arresting clergymen, and how many clergy were killed, and how many are bashed, and how many churches are ransacked, and how many are uh, taken over by armed gangs. This is all happening right now on uh, a land which Russia considers holy and considers really her own. And uh, that's where the you know the motivation for patriots is only confirmed it's reinforced that we must uh liberate the whole of ukraine you know from my personal opinion let the west take the western parts make a deal because we even if we uh, liberate and occupy those western parts with our security forces they will never stop they will just be become like partisans so we don't need those western regions those western regions involved uh Ivan Frankovsk, Ternopil, they want to join Europe, go for it. In fact, let Hungary take back uh, its lands, which Russia gave Ukraine in uh, the Carpathia, in the Carpathian Mountains. Let the Polish, let the Austro-Hungarians, let everyone take the little pieces of land back. Uh, with the exception of uh, Bukovina, I think it's a great region because I've been there a few times before the war. Good people and they're very uh, uh, well... Uh, in in general, the well uh, balanced when it comes to the, their views of Russia, they're very pro-Russian in that area. Uh, there were six hundred and eighty churches in that region, uh, Orthodox churches, canonical Orthodox churches. Uh, whereas in the regions next door, there was one or two only churches. You know, there's a lot of influence there from the uh, schismatics in the western regions. But of course, Pachayev is in the west, and it would be a shame to let Pachayev go. Coming back to the question of Alavra. And Pachev is, uh, you know, right up there with the Kiev Pachev Sklavra as this uh, religious point of significance, historical um, uh, landmark, and not only physically but also spiritually. And uh, that, of course, I think Pachev will be liberated in the end by Russian troops. And that's the only way I can see this continuing. That's the only way this can go. It must be victory, and it must be uh, full full victory. Because only Russia will help Ukraine. That's the only country that actually wants to help Ukraine, that has helped Ukraine. Who built Ukraine? I mean, who armed them? Whatever the weapons they're using, apart from the new weapons they're getting from NATO, which are not even new. They're all from the days of the Vietnam War anyway. They're giving them all the scrap. So I hope I answered your question. I'm glad that we talked about the lockdowns in Australia and how psychotic they got, because I don't think that a lot of people in the United States really knew Look how crazy the lockdowns were in Australia. I mean, 
some people think that Ukraine is located in Australia here. So I don't know that the people in the United States even know that Australia exists. So it's a really good thing that we talked about it and that I appeared on your show that that one night. So, I mean, I, I think that we're teaching people that, you know, Australia is, is it exists and it's psychotic and um, that uh, now I'm losing my train of thought, of course, but and that the lockdowns were really severe. But um, I recently appeared on Aussie Cossack's radio show. I don't know if you guys listened, but uh, somehow he got me got me from to talking about Crimea and the issues surrounding and then got me involved in an overthrow of a foreign government, I think. So why don't you (laughs) so why don't you tell a little bit why don't you tell a bit a little bit about the background of how you have uh suckered me into your web of activism, international activism and um tell the people how good that was in Ghana. It's 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 almost listening to you say that. It's almost like you're reading from a police brief. Uh, it was at this point that the Crown will allege that Aussie Cossack staged a interview on TNT Radio with Michael Asadu from Ghana. We can cut that area. Cut that, please. Thank you. All right. Are you really going to cut that? I love that. It's good. We can leave it. You know what? To be quite honest, to be quite honest, the um the whole Ghana project. What a mad project. I mean, literally. Off the cuff, on the air. I mean, we had planned to have you on as a guest that night on uh, the radio. And we also had Michael from Ghana. And initially, I didn't really make any connection. And it was just very natural. We had Sarah on the show. And I think, you, Sarah, you were with us for two hours. We never have a guest for two hours. It's usually 15-minute, 30-minute blocks maximum. And I just said to the producer, just run it. Because it was going very well. And it was an amazing uh, connection that we had with Michael on the phone. Uh, live from Ghana, and I just had him uh, a few hours ago. Uh, can you believe that they tortured uh, uh, they tortured them when they were in prison for the last six days? He actually said that on the air. The, well, the I, why don't them. we? Yeah, before we get into that, why don't we take it back? Because I don't know that our listeners even know the whole backstory, but let's leave out certain parts so they're more enticed to go listen to your right. show. <laughs> What, what do you tell me? What's this? What's the uh, what's the well, basically, <laughs> you, what's the, you know what's what the story? No, what the know what's great is that I didn't even know it was organic. That's makes it so much more special to me because you know, I was just on the air having a conversation. I got a message from your producers, I think we were about an hour in, and they were like, Can you stay? Can you stay? And I was like, Sure, I'm just, just sitting here. And um, so I was just staying there, sitting there, and this really like beautiful thing kind of came to fruition that Michael was going to hold a rally um, in solidarity with Niger, which for me, that was really amazing because I was helping out other um, solidarity rallies around the United States. So it was a really great opportunity for me. And I jumped on it to help a, solid, a solidarity rally with the youth of another country um and it really got me excited so now i'm like super stoked on it so basically we the gist of it is and i don't want to go into super detail because i want you guys to go listen to it from the horse's mouth on aussie's uh podcast and we'll link that or aussie's radio show but um basically what happened is we we raised a lot of funding we sent the money over to basically what amounts to children um they were fed they had a rally they were clothed they had flags they had a great time they danced they it was dj they had a dj they it was really basically just amounted to a community activity and then they got arrested 
So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because they got arrested and then we lost them for a little bit and then we found them again. Well, now- I mean, that's that, that's the story. <laughs> but if we rewind before that, it starts with a guy called Michael Asadu. Asadu, I think the pronunciation is from Ghana. And he's uh, a volunteer who's been running a channel on Facebook. And if you don't believe me, you can look it up. It's called Mikado News, M-I-K-A-D-O. And he often reposts stuff from my channel, reposts stuff from uh, DD Geopolitics and other um, sort of channels on Telegram. And he then reposted to Facebook and he's sort of like a bit of a citizen journalist, right? And lives in Ghana in Takarati. Uh, not, a, not necessarily the biggest city, but not a small city either. And uh, he basically uh, got in touch. He says, well, this is uh, something that he's very passionate about. He's very passionate about politics and being a community activist. And uh, he's very passionate about what's happening in Niger. And he wants Ghana not to attack its neighbor. He wants his government not to follow the advice or the, you could say, uh, direction, because they're, they're probably given orders. The, the Americans and the French are giving uh, the other African countries, such as uh, the, uh, Nigeria. and. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I believe in this situation where we did help him. Yes, we did help him. We uh, sent him a few thousand dollars, which we raised thanks to our subscribers. We managed to pay for, like you said, all this food. And uh, we, I just sent him uh, some money t- tonight, actually, because we're having to uh, pay for now more expenses, uh, the legal fees and so forth, um, to help them. They've been in jail for the last six days. But there was a very successful rally. It was a great community event. And at the end of everything, already when they had already returned the tents to the tent hire place, it was all finishing up. And they were just some, some of the boys were stayed back to play music in the field, on a soccer field, for goodness sake. You know, they were youth. And they had flags of Ghana, flags of Niger, lots of flags of Russia, um, which, you know, we... Uh, they actually seamstresses sewed them manually on the ground there. Can you believe that? Because the, the shipment of 200 flags uh, was held up in Charles de Gaulle Airport. It's now reached Ghana. It's in the, it's in the well, capital, well, Accra. Please, please make a special note of the irony that the flags were held up in uh, de Gaulle Airport while the Ghanaians were ripping up French flags to make Russian ones. Yes, 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 they <laughs> Yeah, the French held up the flags in Charles de Gaulle Airport because they control all of the uh, FedEx uh, <laughs> transit routes for packages. And of course, they weren't going to allow, you know, French intelligence isn't completely silly, uh, or maybe it is, but I imagine that they uh, didn't want to allow 200 flags to reach Ghana, but now the flags are in Ghana. So they're in Accra. They came a couple of days after the rally. So these these people on the ground, I said to Michael, I go, Michael, just get local seamstresses, local people, whatever, flag shops. And there's a lot of work involved. So they ripped up French flags, white, blue, red, and they uh, don't have many French flags there because uh, sort of Ghana was more connected to the British. But in any case, uh, the the flags also that they made from scratch, you know, from scratch they made flags of Mali or Mali and Burkina Faso and uh, Chad uh, and Niger. I mean, from scratch. What a great initiative! They fed people with rice and eggs and drinks and some, I think it was, I can't remember the whole menu and everything, but they had catering. It was a nice event for the town. And we took, like in, in for example, 
uh, in Australia, we talk a lot, the government talks a lot about the voice, having a voice to uh, to parliament for uh, uh, the local people, right? And in Australia, being the custodians, we have the voice of the Aboriginals, the Indigenous. Now, the Ghanaians, uh, if they want to become Western, they should take note because they're obviously striving to impress America and be with America. If they want to be Western, take note. You don't arrest people. You don't. You don't arrest kids who are just simply having a uh, patriotic freedom peace celebration. Right? That is extremely backward. It's not Western at all. We know that the Ghanaian government strives to be Western. We know that they're trying to uh, be part of uh, France and America's will. But the Ghanaian people are, in fact, against uh any suggestion that Ghana, uh, Ghana, Ghana should send its troops and its soldiers to war against neighbouring Niger. They've made that abundantly clear. The opposition in Ghana has talked about that. And because of Ghana's geographic location, because it's border, it borders with Burkina Faso in the north, and it uh, stands as like a barrier for troops to go through Ghana from uh, the Ivory Coast and so forth. So it's very strategic, and the Russians have called it a strategic juncture as well in their reports on our uh, our work in Ghana, if you want to say it that way, Sarah, because let's just face it, you're involved and uh, you're guilty of financing a coup d'etat. Oh, my God. Reports. Please cut that area. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually right. love it. I am so stoked. I did get worried for a little bit, but after, like, my nerve. I, I'm obviously a very paranoid and anxious person, regardless, just because of being me and all the things that have happened to me. So I know the type of things that can happen to a person, which is which is why me and me and Aussie are a very good pair because he's so reckless and I'm like the reserved one. Also, whenever we're like talking to Michael, we pull this whole like parental thing, and he'll Aussie will even tell me, "I'll be like, all right, go ahead and go be good cop, like go be the good parent." So I can, so it's been a very good experience for me to uh, make friends with all these people from Africa and this, these dynamics have been really interesting. And I'm, I'm really glad because it shows we have someone like me who's talking about what happened to them in the United States, which we've discussed. We'd have someone like you who's talking about what happened to them in Australia. And we know of a, a lot of journalists that have been hurt or disappeared and, or even just Europeans who have gotten into trouble for being uh, pro Russia or just not, or just neutral. <clears throat> And I think yeah. we forget that it happens everywhere and it's happening in, in Africa. Um, it happened to the people that we know. So, um, and that's really just a trumped up insane charge. Uh, and it just tells me that they didn't have anything else to charge them with. So they were like, let's make up something just so grandiose and run with it. Well, that's the, the thing, Sarah, the initial reports that they were detained and held, uh, the police were figuring out what to charge them with. So the police in Ghana that day, I would imagine, had been influenced or contacted by Ghanaian government or intelligence who were connected to the American advisors in Ghana. They have American bases there, and no doubt uh, American money and American uh, directions would be a uh, priority. And, you know, who's Michael to them? Just a kid in a, in a town. So, of right. course, the Ghanaian government's going to throw him under the bus just to please the Americans. And the right. Americans probably saw the danger. For, imagine the optics that the Americans saw. Well, this is in the eyes of an American uh, analyst in Ghana, looking after Ghana, for example, keeping it in the sphere of influence of America. They would have seen a convoy of people carrying Russian flags, Niger, 
Biden is a warmonger, anti-American, anti-NATO, stop NATO, signs, Russian flags, Burkina Faso flags, Mali flags, nightmare. And they were worried it might go viral, which explains why the Ghanaian television station, who for the record, I want to say, uh, we paid $550 to, had amounted after the exchange rates and fees to 3,700 Ghanaian cities, they failed to run the story, even though that was the agreement. I went out of my way to contact this radio uh, TV station, the national TV station in Ghana, and it was promised as part of that price to be put uh, on the national news so the, to cover the uh, rally. But they were issue, they were also pressured by the police or the intelligence agencies or whoever it was, the American influence that was exerted there. And they were basically told to not run the story. Also, uh, the lawyer who initially started to represent mysteriously disappeared also. And it seems as though the police actually bashed the boys after they arrested them. They tortured them. And initially, Michael was saying, oh, he doesn't want to talk about it. He's afraid of the police. I said, you need to talk about it. Your publicity is your security. And this is how we can help by publicizing this. And we have to look at a, a strategy now, how to help them more. And I told Michael, we'll help you, don't worry. But you can't allow the police to torture you and bash you. Now, the Ghanaian government, if they want problems, they'll get problems. Uh, if they want to be like the West, if they want to emulate the West or they're attracted to the West, to, to the Americans, to the French, this is not how things are done in the West. You don't arrest innocent people. For example, they arrested the DJ. What did the DJ do wrong, for goodness sake? And DJ was there uh, being uh, bashed and tortured. They were literally torturing and say, give us the name. Who is organizing this coup d'etat? You must tell us. We know somebody behind this. Who is financing this? Can you believe it? This is how they were treating them. And Michael wasn't initially arrested. The other boys were arrested when they were playing music in the field with the header, like a DJ um, setup for the speaker system. And they were playing songs and they were dancing in the field with flags. Big deal. In a field somewhere in the outskirts of Takarati. Who cares? But obviously the American influence there, they saw it as a threat. And unfortunately, uh, these boys went through that experience and I've told them they're heroes. And I think we owe it to them to get their story out and to not abandon them in this predicament. You know, the, the elders, the chiefs came to the police station, a big group of chiefs. The elders came to demand the police release them, to reason with the police. And that's where I think, uh, Sarah, the decision to drop the charge of uh, coup d'etat or incitement to overthrow the government and replace it with this uh, charge that now Michael has confirmed he's been charged with, which is uh, officially called, he read it out to me on the paperwork, it was holding a protest without a permit right <laughs> so that's in australia holding a protest without a permit when it's like a 70 dollars fine or something i don't know <laughs> it's not a serious charge it's not something they hold you for six days for and bash you for so there's a lot of problems here and a lot of holes in the story of the police already and uh, i told michael he has the potential to become a very strong and serious political figure in africa and look what happened to nelson mandela so i suggested that uh, the opposition party uh, get behind their case. It's on the 2nd of October, and the local Ghanaian opposition party, who have fierce, fiercely opposed to any intervention in Niger and the use of Ghana's troops in a coalition against Niger. So there is a chance for him there. What What do you think is the next uh, step, in your opinion? Uh, Lydia? <laughs> 
don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm grasping at straws sometimes because I don't like, sometimes I need resources for myself and I don't even know where to find them. So doing this, I, I just like the story is so bewildering to me, but I really, really want to stress is that this happens everywhere in some form or fashion. And that's why it's so important to focus and help Michael and, and, and kind of like expose that we have a country whose people are not interested and don't agree with the government and the government's policies are now being silenced and persecuted at the instruction of the West, which is just like what we're, and when we, when I say the West, I mean the United States, right? Let's be real. I mean, this is happening to people in Europe. This happened to you. This is happening all over. And now we're talking about it, um, it happening in Ghana, right? We're, we're not talking about it happening in Russia. Lydia doesn't talk about it happening in Russia. Fanny doesn't talk about it happening in China. It happens here in the West. So I think that the the next step is to continue to drive Michael's story and keep putting it out there because Michael's story is all of our potential stories, not Lydia, because she lives in Russia and they're like, whatever, but <laughs> they're somewhat normal. But for the for the rest of us, I mean, even JM, JM's anonymous for a reason. Um, and one of those reasons is obviously his safety. So we should, and, and that's why in, in instances like these, when people do get persecuted in Western nations, Western states, um, for their opinions, it's, it's at, it is our utmost responsibility to join, to lend our voices to the crowd. So I think that our next steps are exactly what you've been saying. Keep exposing it. I think that I just spoke to, um, we're going to call the office of the opposition leaders and see if the, we can get them involved politically. Because, you know, when we do things like this, um, Aussie and myself, yeah, we're funny and we're silly and we're, maybe we're kind of like jerks, but our, we are always going to strive to go through the proper channels to do something. So I think that um, ha we've ha handled this in a brilliant way. And I think that the next step is probably to uh, make a bigger splash, but in a nonviolent way, obviously, and contact the opposition party, who is a clear supporter of Niger so and Russia. So well, You know, it's, it's very cowardly of the New Day Ghana TV station. Honestly, Sarah, I've got to call them out. And I hope someone sends this to them. I hope someone in Ghana emails the New Day TV station editor and sends them this. It's not very nice at all how they agreed to run a story. Right? They saw it as a, whatever, hire a news crew to get a news uh, story on the TV. Yeah, Maybe in America or Australia that sounds strange, but in many countries in the world, it's normal. It's like you buy advertising, for example. I want you to do a story about my, for example, I don't know, my... Uh, car dealership, advertise a product, advertise a service. And what we were doing, we were giving advertising to what Michael was doing. And the fact that they did not run the footage and now they're not answering their phones is also concerning. That sounds to me as though they were also pressured 100%. by the police or the government. 100%. Look at our media in the West. I mean, our media in the United States is controlled, right? Our major media controlled and then um our alternative media is constantly silenced right so i mean mint press was taken off patreon i mean this is just another form of that 
uh, our journalists that can't go back to their countries in Europe are now stranded in Russia. It's all just the same thing. It's all censorship in another form. And with Africa and Africans, they may not be um, as experienced in this in this sphere with the with this current with the SMO because I think that with the SMO, um, those dynamics have changed even more because um, they've seen the information sharing that we have, how we can form relationships and bonds, and they're and and it's. It, against everything the West wants and stands for. So um, I think that maybe they were pressured and that um, they might, it, it's hard to, what I, what I want to say is it's hard to be the first person, right? You and I are like, we're always the first person to stand up and say something, right? Because people are usually telling us to shut up. But in the for the news station, it's kind of I think it was hard for them to be the they they might think that they're alone, right? And they're exposing themselves, and they're the first person to stand up. And their only allies, strong allies, are people that don't live in country, which are you and I. So well, yeah, look, the, 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 so maybe the news station was just put it down to fear; they were just afraid to run the story. And I understand if they're afraid to run the story, but uh, just professionally, it's bad etiquette. I mean, for goodness' sake, don't agree to run it and then don't run it. What, what what was so controversial about that footage? What? A couple of kids in a field, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 people, and they were feeding the whole town and everyone was having a, a feed, some tents, there were some um, speakers, they were playing music, they played the national anthem of Ghana, they sang the national anthem of Ghana, then they played the national anthem of Russia, and they waved flags and they waved the flag of Niger and so forth to show support. Oh, yeah, a couple of the guys were wearing Wagner T-shirts, but what can I do? Wagner is very popular over there. In fact, I look for the record. I told him don't wear Wagner T-shirts because personally, I thought that that would be uh, something which is not uh, probably the best outcome. But these guys are all Wagner fans. Half the country are Wagner fans. Every kid in Ghana is a Wagner fan. Every kid in Burkina Faso is a Wagner fan. You know, Wagner is like, uh, I don't know, what's what's popular in the West at the moment? I don't know, uh, Barbie or something, right? Or what's popular, Sarah? Um, um, what's ba- Barbenheimer or Oppenheimer bar- bar- Barbie or something? Someone with a bar. Yeah, so, every, you know, there's the, key, there's the thing everything wants. So the thing everything wants over there is a Wagner T-shirt. That's like the best thing because Wagner is associated with power. And over there in Africa, you know, power is respected, literally. There are coups all the time over there, and that probably explains the paranoia of the police. But I think the police went overboard. It's it's too much what they've done, and these reports that they were torturing the boys, bashing the boys. I mean, that's out of control. That's cowardly. That's cowardly, and that's not that's not very honourable at all, at all. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, inclined to uh, you know have a campaign about this. Uh, I don't like to leave things just like that. As I mentioned to Lydia. In the beginning of uh, your show tonight, uh, Russians don't abandon their own. So we're suddenly no intention to abandon Michael. And I explained to him today, I said, Michael, this is, a, a, in a way, it's a good break for you. It's a good career break. We need to get Michael into that opposition party. And that way they can support him with resources. And we can support that opposition party resources with resources i mean sarah we're talking about this we're talking we're talking about supporting opposition parties organizing rallies protests and so forth uh some may from the side say that it's a terrible thing we're doing we're you know organizing a regime change but isn't this what the americans do everywhere but i'm not organizing a regime change. you know what i mean like i I don't understand this whole like 
like the, I mean, I hundred percent agree. They went over the top. They this is this is they tell us one thing and then they do the other, and this is the, such the frustrating part for me because we're supposed to protest, right? We're supposed to have nonviolent protests. We're supposed to make our voice heard. I don't think that you could get any more nonviolent than the rally that was held in Ghana. <laughs> but um, we're that's, these are the things that we're supposed to be doing. And then when we do them, they're like, wait, not like that. I know, but did you get a grant from the National Endowment of Democracy or from <laughs> That's Roshan? right. <laughs> we forgot. I mean, I mean, there's a process to be followed here. You first apply for a grant from the National Endowment for Democracy, talking about your social media outreach pattern about doing generic good thing, and um, to prove that in doing so will improve democracy and the rule of law. There's a process of doing that. If you're actually just, you know, spontaneous about it, well, that's no good. <laughs> and and let's not forget the most important part. You need to have cookies. Cookies and your George Soros per permits. Yes. But on a serious <laughs> note, something that, you know, I really enjoyed listening to this and, you know, because I am Russian and I feel like, you know, I'm a little bit of an outsider in that sense because I don't live in the West. And but obviously I talk to a lot of people uh, from the West. And what's really interesting to me is that obviously, as you all know, uh, whenever a, an average Westerner meets a Russian, the first thing they kind of shoot at us, they say, oh, you're not free. <laughs> and then we kind of get into this conversation. And I, I always say that to me, the greatest success of the Western propaganda is that the people, a lot of people in the West are actually not aware of the said propaganda. And they think that they have all the freedom to choose. They have, um, you know, they have free press and everything where, as you know, as we know that that is not the case. And so it's just very amusing to me at times uh, to to discuss it with people to where they actually don't see those things. And then because of the recent events in some countries, I bring up the protests because people also like to talk about uh, Russia in that respect. But then when I ask them very legitimate questions, but what happens in the West if you're saying that this is the standard of freedom? Uh, that this is what we should be aspiring to be, then why is it that people, when people try to protest some very basic things, uh, they get attacked, they get beaten up, and there are all kinds of things. And a lot of the people don't know what to say to me in, in that respect. So I feel like um, people need to understand that they they need to watch out for those things. They need to understand that in a lot of instances, their governments unfortunately don't have their best interests at heart. And so we people need to think more. People just need to to be honest with themselves about what they see with their own eyes happening in their own countries. I don't think you can really improve on that as a closing note. Oh, well then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll wrap it up. Why don't Aussie? Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, especially your radio show, because that thing rocks. It's very interactive. You can get on there live. Tell them about it. Well, you can find me at the Russian consulate. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to provide the geo 
the geolocation, the satellite coordinates. <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think they can find that. But the okay, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, TNT Radio, uh, Saturday nights, five o'clock, every Saturday night. And uh, also, Telegram Mozzie Kozak. Fortunately, the YouTube channel was uh, destroyed. Very, you know, rip, rip, it rips my uh, rips my heart out because there was a, there was over a thousand videos on there, what? and really funny ones, really funny ones with the cops and stuff, you know, in Australia, yeah. really good, good like <laughs> entertainment. And now it's all become serious because of the war. So maybe uh, maybe we'll get the channel back. We'll see what happens. That I you know what that channel was videos. nuked. Oh God, I remember that channel was nuked for medical disinformation. Oh my God, I can't. And we also ha all have to convince Aussie to start being more active on Twitter because this is getting ridiculous. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to ask a serious question. <laughs> we'll talk what about does, it. What, Wait, what what does... I'll give you my secrets after the episode is done. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Bye -bye. everybody, for listening. It's been another wonderful episode of the DD Geopolitics Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, with Lydia and JM, and our wonderful guest, Aussie Kasek. Until next time, which is Wednesday. Yes. Yes. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>